Welcome to the Seeing Deep Podcast, where we see deep in a shallow world by exploring our surrounding culture through a biblical lens. This month, we've been discussing the impact that worldviews have on our personal belief systems and how we can be culture changers. Back with us this week is Dr. George Barna, who is a professor at Arizona Christian University and the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at ACU. He also founded the Barna Group, a research company that has, for years, set the standard for understanding trends in American culture. Dr. Barna has written more than 50 books addressing cultural trends, including numerous award winners and New York Times bestsellers. He's also a fellow at the Townsend Institute, has taught at the undergraduate and graduate level, and has pastored two churches. Last week, we looked at stumbling blocks that prevented us from impacting our surrounding culture for Christ. Now this week, Dr. Barna will share some of his research with us to equip us and help us to see the need to reach the culture right where we are at. Welcome back, Dr. Barna. Well, thanks, Denise. Good to be with you again. Oh, I'm so excited. I cannot wait to hear what you have to share. (laughs) The scripture for this episode is taken from 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Part of what makes our speech stick, I think, is the graciousness with which we speak it. When we behave differently than the world, people see our message before they ever hear it. You know, I think that's really true, Denise. What we find is that because Americans tend not to be deep or sophisticated thinkers, what we do is we look around and we're we're searching for clues And if there's something about someone that's different, we take note of that. And then we try to figure out, huh, what's causing that? And so that's an important thing is for us to always be thinking that everything we say and think and do can affect the lives of other people. And we can't ever be worried about the fact that it might be countercultural in the eyes of some people. What we've got to be most concerned about, is it biblical? Is it something that really reflects the ways of God? And for me, as someone who spends a lot of time studying worldview, that becomes very important because I've learned over time that worldview is probably caught more than it's taught. And Mm. I think what we want to do is let people catch us imitating Jesus. Mm. And when we do that, it can have a dramatic impact. I so agree with that. I think it is easy to adapt to the culture and no longer resemble our Savior if we aren't faithful in His Word. You know, and a lot of times we would hear that phrase being politically correct, and oh, I cringed every time I hear that. <laughs> but I would substitute biblically correct, you know, for that. Are there we being go. biblically correct? Yeah. You know, in every corner of our life, you know, being submissive to God's Word and being obedient. And that's just such a non-politically correct word today, being obedient or submissive. Those are not things that people really want to hear about. Well, I want to get out of the way in this episode, and I just would love to hear if you could share research that you have found about the Christian culture. Wow, there's a broad question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let me say a few things. I guess one thing that comes to mind is that we know that the Christian body in America 
has, to a large extent, lost influence on the larger culture in America precisely because Christians aren't living any differently than anybody else. I've done a number of studies over the years where I've looked at the way that Christians live and compared it to the way that non-Christians live. And we find very, very few instances where there's any noticeable difference between those two groups, whether we're talking about media habits, whether we're talking about financial habits or product consumption or dress habits, language, uh, family activity, even things such as divorce and whatnot. So if we're not living differently, we can't expect other people to be looking at us and saying, gee, I want what they have. Well, what we have is the same thing they have, except that that's not the way it's supposed to be. So I would say that that's one thing that, that troubles me. A second one has to do with our worldview. Why don't we act any differently? Because we don't believe any differently. We don't think any mm. differently. And so when we look at worldview, which is the decision-making filter that every person has, what we find as an example is that only one out of every five born-again Christians has a biblical worldview. And by born-again Christians, I don't mean people who call themselves that but more so people who would say that when they die, they know they're going to go to heaven, but only mm. because they've confessed their sins and accepted Christ as their Savior. With that group, yeah. which pastors would describe as the backbone of the Christian church in America, only one out of five of them, just 19%, have a biblical worldview. So we've got to go back to the basics. And part of the problem with Christian culture today is that we focus on adults rather than children when it comes to discipleship. And the reason I say that, Denise, is that uh, we, we've learned uh, in our research over the last 25 years that a person's worldview develops between 15 to 18 months of age and is almost completely formed by the age of 13. And so if we do want to figure out, if we do want to play a role in shaping who a person's going to be for the rest of their life, we have to reach them when they're children. And churches aren't doing that. So true. You know, we have, um, the, I'm actually going with the youth this week at our church and we're going to go to a camp. And I'm going to be honest, like when I was raising my kids, I was like, I'm not sending them to the youth group. <laughs> and that was an awful testimony of the churches that we attended, but there, it was known that it was worldly. And I, and, and I, I've always felt that it's so key that our kids are first grounded in their faith before we send them out. You know, a lot of times people say, go send them to be, you know, a witness in the public school system. And, and I home educated for 23 years. But one key thing I realized was I wanted my kids to catch that message. I wanted them to live it out before they were going to go. And, and it was sad to say at times that the church programs I knew, you know, it's like evangelizing um, them more than them discipling my kids. And so now um, I'm in a position where it's like, okay, how can I disciple these kids and, and not just have it be fun and games, which I think there is that tendency um, in churches sometimes is to entertain instead of disciple the youth, almost like we have to dumb it down for them. But we'd be surprised if you raise the standard and, and you teach them biblically how you can really catch their hearts, you know, for God. Um, can you share a little bit about research 
on the American religious life? What stands out to you the most? Well, there are a number of things. I mean, there's the obvious realities where church attendance is declining, Bible readings declining. Uh, we're, we're investing less in children rather than more. But I think there's some other fascinating things happening in terms of religious life in America, one of which is what are the fastest growing religions? And you would hope that, as had been true, you know, four, five, six decades ago, when you had that kind of a discussion, you were talking about different denominations within the Christian faith. But that's not the case today. The fastest growing faith in America today is what we call the don'ts. And those are people who don't know if God exists, don't care if God exists, or don't believe that God exists. What we find is that currently uh, more than one out of three Americans fits into that don'ts category. And it gets higher and higher the younger a person is. For instance, if we look at the millennial generation, we're talking about 43% of them who fit that don't category. Millennials right now are those between 18 and 36 years of age. So we're looking at the parenting generation in America. And so the reason this is scary is that as a parent, you can only give your children what you possess. And if your belief is that God doesn't exist, or you don't know if he exists, you don't care if he exists, well, that's what you're going to be passing on to your kids. That's what you're going to embrace if your child uh, says that that's where they're coming from. That's scary. We could look at uh, another trend that, that we see happening in religious life, and that's that we've got so many people coming into America through immigration and the acculturation process that happens with them, first, second, third generation. And what we're seeing with the largest of those groups, Hispanics, is that they have shifted from coming in as Catholics 30 years ago, 60% of all Hispanics in America associated with the Catholic Church. Today, it's just a little bit less than half of that number. And some people would say, well, you know, it's probably not that bad. They've just shifted over to Protestant churches. Not the case. The proportion who are aligned with Protestant churches has remained the same. What's happening with Hispanics as well is that they're shifting into that don'ts category. They don't know. They don't care. They don't believe that God exists. And so that's, I think, a, a real detriment to American society. At the same time, you got a couple of other faiths that are actually growing quite rapidly. You've got the Islamic faith, and you've got Eastern faiths, Buddhism mm. and, and, and so forth. And so there are major shifts taking place in faith in America. It's not being reported on very much. People are asleep at the wheel related to it. Fewer and fewer Americans are considering themselves to be Christian. Fewer and fewer people are accepting Christ as their Savior. We'd been at about 45% of adults uh, at, at, who consider Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior back in 2006. Today, that number is down to 30%. Hmm. So we've got issues, and, and what are they replacing it with? Well, you know, now 9% believe they're going to be reincarnated. 39% hmm. believe that's a real possibility. Uh, and by and large, we don't believe that we are sinners. We don't believe in original sin. Only 2% of Americans believe that when they die, they're going to go to hell. We've pretty much rejected that whole idea of that kind of eternal consequence. So the religious contours of America change slowly, but they're changing dramatically. Mm. 
And it's so hard to think about combating that. You know, when you talk about the surge and growth in other, even some, uh, you know, like the Mormon church, you know, and all the growth that's happened there. And a lot of times people will erroneously say, well, that's, you know, people say they're born again, or we, it's because of that biblical illiteracy again, and people not being people of the word and not um, positioning themselves to be under the authority of God's word, you know, that God's word is undermined. Um, and so turning that around, you know, sometimes it can feel like, how do you combat it? And one thing I know that I have started doing for the past couple of years is a daily Bible broadcast, just from my devotion time, just a Bible reading plan that I do. And, and this year, I'm just doing it in a few minutes. And, and while that can also still cause people to kind of grow dependent on someone else's study of God's word, my point is to point them to scripture. Look at what scripture says, because when people are in their word um, and studying God's word, it is going to impact their belief system. Mm -hmm. But there's just so many lies right now um, in our culture. I, I noticed one of the titles of your books was Pagan Christianity, and that caught my eye. Can you share what that is? Well, yeah, it's kind of a historical study of how we got to where we are in terms of, of churches and Christian routines. And and the idea behind that is that if you actually go back and trace where so much of the routines, the traditions, the customs in our churches came from, they're actually borrowed from pagan religions rather than going back to the scriptures and figuring out what has God called us to do. So, you know, you look at simple things like, well, where did the original church meet? Well, it wasn't buildings. It was in people's homes. The house church was the original church for a long time. You know, how did worship happen? Well, it was spontaneous. They trusted the Holy Spirit to guide them in terms of what they would do in those houses when they came together. But that eventually, of course, gave way to, you know, what would be known these days as the order of worship, where somebody's planned out every step that, that people are going to take, which really removes the Holy Spirit from that process. It used to be a, a church where they believe that every member has a significant function within the outworking of the Christian body, as opposed to hiring staff, paid professionals who will do the jobs. Used to be that nobody was paid to do that. This was part of our joy. This was partly what we came to give back to God when the church, in whatever form, met together, when we assembled. But then, of course, that all changed when the, when the paid professional appeared on the scene. And, and so it's just a book that goes through a lot of those different kinds of things about how we went from the way that things worked when Christ was around and, and the early church, which the disciples were leading, and that we read about in the book of Acts and other historical documents, to what we have today, helping us to understand that, you know what, what we have today as the local church doesn't resemble anything in the scriptures. And so we ought not to think that that form is sacred. Only God is sacred. And so we, we've got to be willing to change various things that will enable us to relate to him, to be more intimate with him, to do things that are going to bring him greater joy than to say, but wait a minute, that's not how we do it. Mm. It's like, well, let's go back to God's word and figure out what he wants us to do. 
It's so important to question things instead of just accepting them. I think that's another key thing. Like you said, a lot of pagan roots and people just don't think about it. And I remember when I was first saved uh, back in 1988 and I was like, you know, I'm not going to celebrate Halloween. (laughs) Like I'm not going to even do the Santa thing. And people thought I was really crazy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it was suddenly this awareness. Wait a minute. What have I been doing? you know, my whole life and, and just educated, being educated about those things. But it's not just knowledge, it's a desire to please God in everything I do. And, and not just going with the the flow of the culture around us. So there are trends and cycles in time, times of revival, times of decline or collapse of civilizations. Where do you see the U.S. right now? And what hope do you see? Well, you know, I think right now, to to borrow a, a phrase from scripture, people in America are doing what's right in their own eyes. Mm. And th- that's scary. But yes. my hope lies in the fact that when I study biblical history, church history, when I look at how God operates, mm. one of the things that we learn is that God never waits till he has a majority of people willing to do things his way in his timing. He always uses a remnant of people who are passionate about him and who are willing to do whatever he calls them to do at any given moment, simply because he's called them to do that. They're willing to lose everything for him, but it's that remnant that ultimately he uses to transform cultures. American society right now is in desperate need of spiritual transformation. And it can happen because that remnant does exist. But we need to have the remnant ready to go. You know, and so if somebody listening thinks, well, thinks, well I'm part of that. It's like, well, God bless you. I, that, that's a great mm-hmm. thing. But be ready. Be ready. The time is short. The time is near. Yes. And I believe that God's going to be calling on his remnant very soon mm. to be doing some very significant things. And we can't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not quite ready for that. Or, or that, I don't know. That's, that's a big task. It's like, no, this is when your Lord is calling you. You go for it. You do it. This is a hinge point, I believe, in America's history where either the nation is going to return to God mm. and do things his way or we're just going to fall over and follow the ways of the world, and that will be the end of America. Wow. So, friends listening, I know it can be intimidating to think about being culture changers in a lost, weary world, but Christ would not tell us to do it if he would not also empower us to do so. And if we want to change the world, we need to start with ourselves. Being godly transforms us, as we renew our mind with truth so we can transform others who we were just like when we were lost. And ultimately, it's only the Holy Spirit who can transform the human soul. But we need to be faithful to share the Word of God. We see from 1 Timothy 3, 1-5 through 5, that this is who we're trying to reach. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid 
such people. Boy, does that sound like today. But this is why Christians have got to be people of character. We are not to be like this world. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this is a lot of what Dr. Barnett has been speaking about. We have got to live this message out that we carry. We've got to be authentic followers of Christ. Dr. Barna, are there any last thoughts that you would like to share? Well, yeah, Denise. I, I mean, I, I appreciate what you're doing with, with your programs here, exhorting mm. people to, to be real followers of Christ, not just people who hear the word, but people who do the word, as James would talk about you know, and, and going back to the, the life of Esther, I'd say that each of us right now are here for such a time as this. It's not going to be easy, but it's incredibly important. And so I would encourage people to evaluate their gifts, spiritual gifts, their calling, their experiences, their skills, their resources, and and spend a lot of time before the Lord asking Him to give them wisdom about how to put those together, how to apply those into a life that is making difference in advancing the kingdom of God. We need to stay focused during this period of time. This is mm. not a time for us to wander, a time for us to waffle. This is a time when we need to recognize we are spiritual warriors and that we are here, as Jesus talked about, Mark 12, to love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. We don't do that just by attending church. It's not a bad thing to do, but we've got to go beyond that. Amen. We now have to be the church mm. in our culture today. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening to think about, yeah, how can I not just go to church, but how can I be the church to everybody whom I encounter? Yes, because the church is not a building. Amen. We are the church and the world is looking at us to see if they can see evidence of mm-hmm. what we say we believe. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Barna. Can you please share again how our listeners can find you? Uh, yeah, two websites you could visit. There's culturalresearchcenter.com, and that'll have all the current research that we're doing related to worldview and cultural transformation. And you, you can download all that. It's all free. You can sign up to be alerted to the newest reports. And the other place they could go would be georgebarna.com, and that'll have a number of my books there as well as other research and commentary that I've put on that site. So hopefully both places will be fruitful for people. Wonderful. We will share those links on the website so you guys can also find that. You've been listening to the Scene Deep podcast where we dive into the Word of God for the answers to life's problems.